Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we rejoice and we are glad in it. So I'm glad that you're here to magnify him with me and rejoice together as we lift up the name of none other but Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Um, Andrew, I think it's going to take a little while for you to live that MySpace down, wherever you are. You might be get, getting texts some years from now for that one. But uh, man, can you not, I mean, it, it's, it's hard not to feel welcome coming into this space. You all ought to give God a hand just for what's happening here. Can we do that? God is certainly in this place and thankful for Pastor David and his leadership. And uh, he can't do what he does without his wonderful bride by his side, Megan. So thank you both for how you serve him and this house. And your children for how they serve as a part of a family endeavor in stewarding what God's called you to steward here. It's really a blessing to be here with you today, and I'm excited, and don't take lightly that Pastor David and Megan have entrusted me again with this opportunity to stand on this stage to share what I believe the Lord has for us to hear today. So again, thank you so very much. Um, we have, I think, one more video, I think. Yes? Okay. If we do, I'm going to let you guys watch that, and we'll go from there. Victory Church of Charlottesville, where we exist to see people reconciled to God and to each other, and where we are already seeing people from all walks of life, fellowshipping together in authentic community, living in victory because of Christ's work on the cross. On July 1st, we held our second summer prayer brunch, and 55 of us gathered for fellowship, study of God's word, corporate prayer, and Victory Kids ministry. And on August 12th, we will be hosting our third and final summer prayer brunch. On this day one year ago, the people of this city experienced the unthinkable, all as the nation and world looked on. This year, though, we as Victory Church, much like Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, intend to insert our very own, quote, You intended it for harm, but God intended it for good, for the accomplishing of what is happening now the saving of many lives. It's an opportunity you do not want to miss. Join us from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. at the Boys and Girls Club of Charlottesville. And don't just attend, but serve. Partner with God and us in seeing a city transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can visit victoryseville.org to learn more. So that, that is your church family. When people ask us oftentimes, why did you move from Charlottesville? Because we had lived there for six years prior to coming up to being on staff here at Grace Covenant Church. And I said, family. Yeah. Bottom line, it's family. The Lord said to do it, and family. That's why we decided to come. So that's your church in Charlottesville. And I want you to, to take ownership, if you will, of that same vision to see people reconciled to God and each other, because they are a part of you, and you, them, and all of us are part of God's kingdom. Amen? Uh, we are obviously at August 19th, but I wanted that to be shown because last week, August 12th, was the one-year anniversary of what the whole world at this point knew about with regard to the, the events of Charlotte's, or the events that took place in terms of rallies and so forth last year. And we had about 30 or so people come to the first prayer brunch in June, and you heard on the video 55 or so that came uh, to the second prayer brunch in July, and I got emails about this August 12th brunch that literally people said, I'm not leaving my house. We're not coming out. And they did it. 
and yet 84 still showed up on August 12th to lift up the name of Jesus. And to very much insert our very own, as Joseph in, in the book of Genesis chapter 50, but God, and I know we could all probably preach a sermon from our own lives as to how God inserted himself when things that were intended for harm were turned around for his good. And so we are continuing to do that. And as Pastor David mentioned, please pray, please consider financially partnering. And if you want to come on down to the beautiful Shenandoah Mountains, where a commute is no longer than 10 minutes, so I keep going, biscuits and local eateries and everything else uh, is down there as well. But we are also very welcoming to those who are not necessarily feeling God calling them to move, but want to visit. So we had seven to 10 uh, volunteers from Grace Covenant Church come down on the 12th, served in kid builders, served as greeters, served in hospitality. And so we are uh, more than open. In fact, we would be excited should you want to do that as well. And we'll have a lane for you to come and serve as unto the Lord. Uh, a part of that family, as before we get into the scripture here, uh, anybody who's done anything in any industry, but particularly in church planting, knows that there's a team involved. Um, I mentioned Megan alongside David and my bride of 13 years. If not for her, I would not be here. <laughs> I would not be stewarding this, this, this opportunity, this privilege of, of, of advancing God's kingdom in Charlottesville, if not for her love and support. My dad used to say it this way, and I echo the sentiment. It's a lot easier preaching about heaven with an angel by your side. It really is. So I love you, babe. <laughs> and our beautiful three children who are gracious, so gracious. Our six-year-old accepted Christ last year, and I mean, they're just right on board. I said, well, look at this. We're going to have some little church planters up in this house. This is great. And the 20 plus, and I've started saying that because people have been adding and adding to the core team, and I don't want to miss anyone. So I'll say 20 plus volunteers who are committed as a part of the core team. We have some from here in uh, Northern Virginia who are moving, and then we have uh, a dozen or so already in Charlottesville who are committed, who yesterday got up early in the morning to, well, it wasn't early, but it was on a Saturday when they could have been doing a lot of other things to get together for a Strengths Finders workshop so we can figure out how well we can work with each other to ensure that we don't get in each other's way as we advance God's kingdom. And I think there may be a few of you here today. If I don't look you in the eye and find you, there's one, but I won't spotlight you. Um, but thank you. Thank you for allowing God to speak to you and answering his call to join us in partnering with his vision, his vision. We are so privileged to do that. So with that, let's get into the word. Amen. 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 Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> book of Nehemiah. We're going to look at chapter four, verses seven through nine. Chapter four, verses seven through nine. And as you're looking that up, just an aside, we have an amazing team. I am so grateful for who God is bringing to us and continuing to bring to us. Yesterday, as the workshop facilitator just listed all of, she had a nice grid of everyone's strengths, because we all have them, you have them, and, and sometimes we don't even realize they're there. But as she listed them and had them on this grid, I just said, God, this is what it will take you ultimately, but through these multiplicity and diversity of gifts and strengths to reach every part of this city. And I know that that's the call here as well to do the same in a D.C. metropolitan area. So go visit Jermaine and Andrew's table for small groups and figure out how you might serve and, and participate and get on a SWAT team and, uh, and, and utilize the gifts and strengths God has given you for his glory. Hopefully by now you found Nehemiah chapter 4. But before we read, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you so much.
for this opportunity, the opportunity to study your word, to hear from you what you have for us, not just for head knowledge, but that it would be a reality in our lives from Monday through Saturday as well. I pray according to your word, Psalm 118, 1918, that says, open up our eyes so that we may see all that is in your law. Because unless you open our eyes and open up the ears of our heart, we can't hear or see what you have for us. So Holy Spirit, you speak. Soften our hearts such that the soil is good ground, that it can go in and take root and make a difference in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, and it reads this way. But when Sanballat, and to- when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We could have read the entire book of Nehemiah, but I chose to nestle what we'll talk about for the next few minutes in these few verses. So Lord, again, help us as we study your word. The title of uh, today's message is What to Expect When You're Expecting. What to expect when you're expecting. Some of you are laughing because you might have read that same book that I read seven or eight years ago before our daughter Elliot was born that told you every detail, whether or not you really wanted to know every detail, about what to expect when expecting a baby. Things like how big the baby is at certain points, like it's a prune now or it's a cantaloupe now and Husbands, you should be doing this because of where your wife is feeling in this moment now. And details that were certainly very helpful. And at times you wonder, do I really want to know all of that? And even when they shared some things about what to expect when you're expecting, I think one of the things we learned in our house is that some of those expectations while you're expecting don't always go according to what the delineated expectations they say you ought to have. Like, you shouldn't be sick beyond the first trimester. It'll probably subside. And Taylor and I would go to visit after visit in the second trimester, and they said, well, sometimes it goes a little bit further. <laughs> and in the third trimester, yeah, a few people. And in that 40th week, you're just one of those. <laughs> Right? So what to expect when you're expecting didn't exactly fit our paradigm. And some of you here may have even experienced worse, right, in terms of what may happen. We had a, a really good friend down in Williamsburg who recently called and was pregnant with twins and said, Paul, they had to be born at 29 weeks. We weren't expecting that. Another friend who had triplets in North Carolina where they said they'll probably come a little early, so just we'll, we'll do what's appropriate to kind of get them. No, she went full term. So even on the other end of that, she said, Lord, have mercy. And they all came out, what, eight pounds a piece? Am I exaggerating? Maybe a little. I'm a little exaggerated. Okay, I'm exaggerating, right? Preachers do that a lot. So that's my barometer. But six pounds a piece, that's still three of them. What to expect when you're expecting. And I think we're now kind of socialized, not just in that space, but in life to when we are expecting something, there's almost this understood nature that we have. We kind of temper that expectation in some way, right? Like, 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 uh, 
I love sports, so I can't help but use some sports analogies even when I try not to. Uh, but you might have expectations for LeBron and the Lakers this year. I don't know. Right? But you're going to temper them until you see what they do. And victory, if you will, will celebrate if and when they even make the playoffs for one. Or they, sorry, I offended a few folks. Or when they or someone else wins the championship. We've learned how to temper those expectations. In our text today, though, I believe what's being suggested here, at least what we're going to extrapolate for this moment, is that our victory begins with our expectation of Jesus. That's when our victory begins. There's no tempering of anything when it comes to what to expect in our walk with him. How we regard him before the walls in our lives are rebuilt. How to pray with confidence before we see reconciliation in our family. How to trust him before the debts in our life are paid. How we, how we extend faith to a perfect God before our child, before we see physically the manifestation, if you will, our child's healing. Victory begins with our expectation of Jesus, and that's what we want to focus on this morning. When we believe that he is going to accomplish all that he said he would do, and when opposition comes, it only makes us dig a little bit deeper, push a little bit harder, because we know what God has already told us is going to happen. We know, as Pastor Danelle at our Chantilly campus says all the time, that the fight is fixed. Victory is in our expectation. It begins in our expectation of Jesus. And the book of Nehemiah, if we can zoom out for a bit, gives kind of an account, if you will, of the restoration of the walls that were torn down, ending that 70-year captivity at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar of uh, Babylon. And Nehemiah specifically was called by God to direct the people of Israel to rebuild the walls in the city of Jerusalem. And if we go back a little bit, again, zooming out for some context in chapter 1, he hears from one of his brothers, Hanani, who comes to him and tells him, hey, those in exile are not doing that well. There's rubble. It's disaster. And Nehemiah's response in chapter 1 is to mourn and to fast and to pray, which is a quick parenthetical there. How do we respond to disappointment? whether it's directly affecting us or indirectly in this case, he's thinking of his ancestors who were buried there. Like he mourns and then he fasts and he prays. And I love too. again, another quick side note, how the Bible will allow us to, to experience very real emotions in life. There's a place for grieving the loss that we might experience in our lived experience. And God is compassionate and empathetic to that. Yet Nehemiah instructs us here in this first chapter that he doesn't stop there. He goes on and there's fasting and there's prayer before the God of heaven, recognizing that our God is bigger than whatever disappointment may have just come knocked on our door. And we get that opportunity for our faith then to catch up to the capacity of God. Our victory, again, begins with our expectation of Jesus. In verse 5 of that first chapter, he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great an awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He doesn't allow the situation to dictate his level of faith, but rather speaks to the awesome God that remains awesome about that little situation. And everything is viewed through the lens of how great his God is. He goes on to confess his sins and the sins of, 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 of 
his fellow Jews and Israelites, and, and then he goes on to recall God's word as he prays. And may we all aspire to, to pray God's word. Why? Because Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 55 and 11, that says, because when his word goes out, it doesn't return empty. It accomplishes that for which it's sent. It achieves its purpose. So when we can get to that place, and all of us are striving in this life of sanctification, of praying his word, we know, God, we're recalling back to you what you've already said. And Nehemiah does this. He confesses, and then he says in verse 8 and 9 of that first chapter, as we move up to where we are in the fourth chapter, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which is a reference to Leviticus 26, if you want to reference that later, around the 33rd verse. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather. Deuteronomy 30 is what it's referencing there for further study later, around verse 4. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. When we know that God has called us to something, he's called you here. He's called us to plant this church in Charlottesville, we know that victory can be expected every time. We're not waiting for however many folks to come, though we're happy when they do. We know because of what God already said that we can celebrate in this expectation space. We can pray and we could work. I imagine Nehemiah probably could have done without the opposition that they faced. Heck, we probably could have done without the, the walls being destroyed to begin with. Certainly could have done without what we started to read in chapter 4 with the attacks and the, the mockery and the scorning of folks. But even in the face of that, the victory was already won. And so he was able to continue working with fervor and confidence on rebuilding the wall. He knew, as per mentioning it in chapter 2, as we hasten to get to our text today, that God put this mission in his heart. And he says in that same chapter, verse 8 and also 18, that there is grace from God upon him. To accomplish it. And it was from that place that he prayed and he worked. It was from that place that he had an expectation that God was going to help his team complete this mission. Victory begins with our expectation of Jesus. Another quick side note. Prayer without work. James says faith without works is, is dead. So I love how Nehemiah in chapter 4, and I'm kind of jumping ahead as I'm giving context at the same time, recognize there's a prayer, but then there's also you get down there and stand guard. And on the flip side, working and doing and striving for what only God can accomplish is also futile. Here's prayer first in that chapter. It's for the king because he was the cupbearer for the king. And he said, I need to get down to my people, help rebuild this wall. Of course, that was granted. And don't you know before he could even get to work, you had the Sembalats in chapter 2 and Tobiah, the Ammonite, just hearing about it and hearing about it, they were very disturbed that someone had the gall, the audacity to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Can I pause there and say what you've heard from the Lord, what you know is in your heart to do in your community, in your home, when the enemy gets wind of that, he's going to become knocking at your door. Thoughts of deception, the second word, if you will, that comes that says, no, he didn't really say that, did he? And we were putting pen to paper in 2014, long before there was a video, a conversation even with Pastor Brett. No one knew. It was in my journal. And I won't say that what happened with our son was because of this, but I can tell you that the, the deceptive words that came as a result of the health issues with our son, I believe now, just in recent memory, are directly related to that. He's dealing with that. You're going to have to be there. You're going to have to drop this. No, that little note you made. No, 
Here's where you need to be. Second word of deception. Anything he can do to distract you from completing the task. And in that case, it was wanting to hamstring me from ever mentioning it to my wife even. It started in the journal before I ever came to tell her and said, I think we ought to pray about planting this church. They just heard about it. And of course, some background on them briefly. Uh, uh, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and, and Sambalat, the Horonite, they were the banished. They were the ones driven out of the promised land for the Israelites. And here, generations later, they're coming back. The old enemies, if you will. They're doing what? Oh, no, no, no. we want to keep Jerusalem in ruins. All they need to do is hear, and they're going to come whispering in your ear. And so when they actually then started to build, they went from being disturbed, Sambalat and Tobiah, to now mocking and ridiculing. What is this you're doing, they asked in that chapter 2, verse 19. Are you rebelling against the king? To which Nehemiah responded, the God of heaven will give us success. In his expectation, long before the wall was built, which we don't find out until chapter 6, that it was built in 52 days, God is going to give us success. So we're moving forward because victory begins with our expectation of Jesus. And people are waiting for that kind of faith to rise up in you. Waiting. Fast forwarding now, chapter 3, you can go through that whole chapter and it just goes through names. Y'all ever read the Bible and you see names and you're like, Lord, can I just get get on down to the next part of it? On Wednesday night, we're going to get into those names in Chantilly at 7.15. We're going to actually focus on that chapter 3 because all of those names, they reference people from all different walks of life. And what struck me was, man, do teammates matter? It's not today, that's Wednesday. But teammates matter, the, the, the rulers, it says, and, and the folks that were may not regard it so well. In chapter 3, it goes on to say they, they rallied to that call, the faith that they saw in a man who saw beyond these ruins and beyond the opposition. People will see beyond. If you can see beyond in your own life what's there, people are watching and seeing, gosh, I'm looking for somebody. People are looking for someone to follow. They can see that kind of faith. They rally. And you can see how teammates together in chapter 3, we're going to go past that for today in chapter 4, will rally and come to work on this building, this rebuilding in this case together. Then we get to chapter 4, the chapter in which we find our text, which contextually hopefully now makes a little more sense if it didn't before today. Lo and behold, Sambalat and Tobiah still mad. He's ridiculing the Jews, questioning the work that they've now started. What are those feeble Jews doing? What are you doing, Paul? You don't know what in the world. You're starting a church in Charlottesville, dude. You were supposed to be teaching at the University of Virginia. That's your job. And you know that takes 60 hours a week. So how is this going to work? Those are the words. I don't want to even go further down the path because we don't even give too much credence to it. I say it so that you in your own brain can hear what you've heard and then refute it with the but God. Will they restore their wall? Will they really plant this church? Will they really see that child come back? Will they really... Will they really keep at it until their brother's saved? Will they keep at on their knees until that brother who's been locked up and just has a hardened heart will get saved in prison and become the biggest ambassador for Christ when he comes out? Will they? Will they? Or will they be scared away by, by this talk? Well, these feeble, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah added in verse 3, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Y'all ever get that kind of word? Like, oh, what you're doing is all right, but really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Again, Nehemiah prayed. He worked. And then somebody saw their expression. I'm giving a little too much credence, but it's, it's to hopefully facilitate 
in our experiences, in our own lives, what the symbolics are. So don't hear my mentioning them as much as I have thus far as giving a lot more credence than they deserve, as much as I'm trying to highlight and reinforce, if you will, what is the reality for all of us in here. Symbolics saw their expression, saw that in their expression of displeasure and their mockery didn't slow down, but rather they upgraded in verse 7, which is where our text today comes in. It says, when he and Tobiah now even more folks join, the Ammonites, now the Arabs, the people of Ashdod, the enemy doesn't want to see you progress. And when he sees it, he's going to keep coming. So when even you thought you've turned that corner, verse 8 says, they all plotted to come together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Yes, I'm saying you could expect opposition and no, it doesn't end there. So I'm going to get off of that, but you can expect some opposition. And sometimes when you're getting the opposition, it's I'm on the right track sometimes. You have to know when you're making some bad choices. But sometimes it's, you know what? God, Nehemiah said, there's grace upon me to do this work. And the enemy doesn't want to see your marriage succeed. Are you kidding? See, generations upon generations look back and say, man, well, before them, it was a mess. But man, it started with them. And now it's just life. He doesn't want to see your marriage that may have had some issues be rebuilt. No, he's getting happy that he thinks it's destroyed. But man, if you can show that God's favor and his mercy and his grace and his all-powerful, omnipotent nature can come down in what you've experienced in your marriage and rebuild it. Oh, my goodness. What testimony might that say for those who come after you. So opposition, yes, but greater than that expectation is the expectation that he is going to show himself on your behalf. Our victory, though, begins with the expectation of Jesus. And again now in verse 9 of chapter 4, it says, but we prayed to our God. We posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Matthew 26 and 41 says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. We've been working. Y'all have been working. I come here and I'm like, pipe and drapes. Okay, we need some more pipe and drapes. And how did the sound and tech team set all this stuff up? So we're praying. And then there's a very active role that our entire team takes to work, to guard against, to think and pray, Lord, where are the strongholds in my house, in our city, Charlottesville, Sterling, Chantilly, that you want us to be aware of so that we can send folks to guard there. Is it education, Lord? Is that where we need somebody there to guard? Thank you for placing me there for this time being. Is it, is it in the financial sector downtown? Where do we need to go and guard against what's trying to bubble up in this city? And the opposition of the enemy should only strengthen our commitment to his call, not drive us from it. You might be hearing a whole lot from Sam Ballots right now seeing a whole lot, maybe even feeling a whole lot. Again, we can expect opposition, but we can also expect victory where God says to expect victory. Nehemiah and his team built this wall in 52 days. This was 22 and a half miles long, 40 feet high, eight and a half feet thick. And in 52 days, with the opposition, with everyone coming together against them, yeah. I hope this encourages you. I really do. That, that, that song, Tim, as you exhorted us, <laughs> greatest thy faithfulness, if he did it before, he'll do it again, he'll make a way. Yeah. I hope this encourages you today because that might seem like in your life the size, the magnitude, the thickness, the height yeah. 
of what needs to be rebuilt in your life. And I'm here to only share what I believe the Lord has shared through the book of Nehemiah to say in 52 days even. Made no sense that they did it that quickly. But because of prayer, because of working, and because of the expectation of victory prior to, God did something incredibly special in them. And might I say that God has already done, but there's more to be done in and through you that others will marvel at such that what? They can be drawn to Jesus Christ and his kingdom can be advanced. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? But I do believe as we close, he's beckoning us to embrace the reality that our victory doesn't begin when the wall is built. But it begins with our expectation of Jesus. I talked about at Victory Church 2014. We're writing stuff in the journal. Uh, started to share with Taylor, and she was like, yeah, I kind of sensed the same thing. And both of us were like, okay, let's pray um, because this is no joke. We need to pray about this. And a few months into writing in our journal, Taylor said, yeah, you know you need to call Pastor Brett. And I told Pastor Brett that I didn't. I, it took me a while to call. And I said, when we make that phone call, that's it. <laughs> Once I let him know, like, the ball is going to roll. And I said, Lord, I want to know that we know that we know that you've called us to it. But we made that call. We had the conversation with Pastor Brett. He, he, he sent us to David Houston and others in our Every Nation family to talk to. And wouldn't you know, in that time, And I won't go into all of the different things that started to crop up in life, but so many distractions, so many things that the enemy would try to insert to say, no, maybe not now, (laughs) maybe not here. Long before 2017, August 11th and 12th, we were writing things in our journal like reconciliation, transformed, and at that time, we didn't know where God was calling us to plan. We, we, we said, Lord, we don't want to assume that it's here. So you tell us where and with whom and what the timeline is. And very soon, he said, right here in this city that you know really well and you know the issues that plague it. And what do you know? 2017 rolls around. August 11th and 12th. The nation, the world kind of sees what in our journal had been there. And so I say that to you as church family so you know that others who are appropriately responding, God had given a word prior to such that it wasn't necessarily reactive as much as it was the word that was already planted for that city. But after August 11th and 12th, the words that came that said, this is a bit bigger than you thought. Y'all hear what I'm saying? A little bit bigger. Are you really? Victory. Victory. Why? As we really close, you know we have two and three conclusions. (laughs) Second one, all right, sound team. Maybe a third coming. Why? Because of what was already done, not because of connections. And, and, and we thank God for the contacts that he has brought divinely into the life, not of us people, but Victory Church, the people and the call and the vision for that city. Yes, we're grateful. But because of what he did over 2,000 years ago, he already lived the life we should have lived died the death we should have died in our place, rising again on the third day, proving that he's the son of God. It's because he already overcame John 16 and 33. We can have peace. I can move forward. Taylor can move forward. Our team can move forward. We, every nation, church, family can move forward with no anxiety. Why? Because it's already done in the mind of Christ. And when that word goes out, we get the opportunity then of just saying, okay, Lord, how might you use me? 
empty-handed is a sermon I'm waiting to preach. Maybe September 2nd. I don't know. At Grace Covenant. I don't know. But just he's waiting for us to say, Lord, I'm empty. Nothing in my hands, Lord. How might you use me to partner with what you've already done? That's a good, that's good news. I was talking to a buddy the other day, and he said, you know, I'm going through this stuff. I'm having these challenges, but I know I can fix it. And there was a lot of eyes going on, and I know him. He's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. There was a lot of eye, and I said, you know, I sensed the, the, the tension and the strain, and I said, much of it is, yeah, let it go. Whatever it is, the intellect, let it go. The capacity in your pocketbook, let it go. The capacity with your networks, let it go. The capacity with whatever bravado that you might have grown to put out first before you do Jesus, let it go. The plan that you might have, empty-handed. Well, he's waiting for us to say, I've already done it. I just need a vessel who's ready to be empty so that I can pour and pour and pour. And then what I'm pouring through you will never stop like you will. And end up burned out and all sorts of jacked up nature going on with you. But I'll keep on pouring. Come to me empty handed. And so we get that privilege now of saying, I'm partnering with you, Lord. Victory is partnering with you. Grace Covenant Sterling and Chantilly are partnering with what you've already done. And as your hands and feet, we get to see what you want to do now. The saving of many lives. Oh, we're so privileged, blessed, and relieved that we don't have to rely on ourselves. What to expect when we're expecting? My goodness, don't temper those expectations. If he said something to you, it's going to come to pass because he said it. Because he said it. I know life brings ups and downs, and the president of our Every Nation movement, Stephen Merle, has written in a number of books, he doesn't promise a storm-free life, but a storm-proof life. And we can walk in that truth. Amen? Amen. I'm going to stop on that conclusion because we can just about start preaching on a lot of these points that I pray have already been spoken in a way that both provokes, encourages, reinforces what God is doing and has done already in your life. What to expect when we're expecting? The victory begins with our expectation in Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the example in Nehemiah of what you are capable of doing and how you want us to posture ourselves in the face of whatever opposition it is that comes toward us. That one, you don't want us to do it alone. That when we pray, it can be with confidence, that we can remind you of your word, that we can remember the grace that is upon us to do it, and that it's you ultimately that gives us success. Lord, help us to, in the space you've called us, certainly Victory Church as it's being planted, but in our larger everyday lives, individually as well as corporately, help us to be reminded about the sure expectation we can have of you and in you.